It looks like Liverpool are up for sale. The Fenway Sports Group obviously see now as the prime time to get maximum profits from their 300 million purchase of the club 12 years ago. Who'll take over at Anfield? Only time will tell. Please be McGregor. Please be McGregor. Please be McGregor. Please be McGregor. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Unai Emery had Villa fans dreaming of what could be. Liverpool are up for sale, but how will this affect the team and the club in general? And the World Cup is just over a week away, but players are dropping like flies. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Dave, the big news this week was Liverpool, they're going to be sold. How does this sit with you and how does it sit with Liverpool fans? Yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting soap opera because there's going to be a few little ca- caveats and sidebars as, as we, we've talked about before the show. But to be honest, it's, um, it's a bit weird because obviously it's been a nice stable 12 years and infrastructure and background stuff and commercially has all gone in the right direction and we're kind of nearly at the Man United level in that sense, uh, neck and neck in, in the revenue streams that are coming in, although City, I've kind of blitzed a few people this year. How true it is or not remains to be seen because obviously there's that's a that's for another day with some dodgy betting sites. Um, allegedly, 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 and all that just in case you know you get into trouble. But um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's weird. Like it's, it's been a nice steady ship. However, it's quite clear you know there is still a little bit of that financial side a bit missing to try and maintain pace with the juggernaut that is Man City. So it's going to be very interesting to see. The way it goes uh, in terms of, uh, you know, fans will wash themselves in oil if it means getting billions. You know, they'll sell their soul deep down as long as their football team is winning. So all of a sudden, the moaning and bitching of City and now Newcastle will be interesting and watch people backtrack their opinions, you know, and even Klopp for that matter, because he only fired shots at City and brought Newcastle into it uh, the week uh, in the manager press conference before the Man City game. So, he kind of swore blind over the last few years that he wouldn't kind of do something like that. So the interest depending on who the owner is. Now, there's rumours galore. One minute, it's going to be this family, that family, and this family. From now, it's going to be none of them. And now, it's going to be probably, probably from America. Obviously, that Phil McGregor kind of pitched the tent in and all that kind of crack as well. But it's going to be interesting to see. But what I found interesting was it's going to be sold. Then all of a sudden, there's this very cryptic we're looking at potential investors. Like, if, if, do you know, like in um, ads, little ads in the paper where somebody's like, oh, our nearest offer, and then at the very bottom, no time wasters, please. That's almost what it sounded like. It was a nice, fancy way of saying, no time wasters, please. Come with the big checkbook or don't bother coming at all, you know? Um, so it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens. And then obviously, as I said, the little side note, how it sit with Klopp now that, Somebody mad could come in and go, oh, I get you in, no problem. I don't care how much he is, half a billion. Like, everybody could have to go, hold, hold, hold on. I've been moaning about this for 12 years or seven years he's been there. So um, it, it, it seems like it's further down the line with the little snippets that are coming out now. And uh, there's talk of Robert Kraft of, 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 of um, the New England Patriots in the last uh, 24 hours. So it just seems like it's, it's been out there a little bit longer and now it's just been 
kind of put out there into the world, I think, by the, the guys at the Athletics. So let's just see what happens. And then obviously it's a great debate between the fans now because all, all our moaning and bitching of Man City and Newcastle now has come home, home to roost where we might have to, well, if everyone else is doing it, we might as well do a kind of brigade. So look, it, it, it just, it'll be very, very interesting. But like this, to go from 300 million to potentially between three to four billion in your back pocket is some, is some job. But whoever comes in, just to finish, whoever comes in will be interesting because pretty much the money will go straight into players, and straight into recruitment because the, the the Anfield Road end is going to be just finished now for the start of next season, the brand new state-of-the-art uh, training facility. So all the infrastructure is going to be as good as done. So next step is potentially recruitment and uh, Liverpool could get right into the thick of it with the cities and Newcastle and other emerging teams of this mm. world very quickly if if and when it does happen because that's really all that's left in terms of spending power to, to yeah. try and get consistency at that level and maintain pace at Man City. Neil, I find the division of like like Dave and um, a lot of other supporters not even supporters but media outlets even and they're talking about you know this could be you know a big oil you know, Baron or Sheik or whatever it is. But it also could be a Glazer type family. It's it's not guaranteed that there's going to be money just thrown left, right and centre if if a new owner comes in. Yeah, it, it depends, I guess, really, what the intentions of the owners are. So, I mean, if you look at Cronky for um, Arsenal, his intention is to slowly but surely keep the club afloat, uh, inject cash, but never too much or at least that's been the model since the Wenger years. Um, and then you have, you know, your man at Chelsea, Todd Welly, who just seems to spend like it's fantasy football. You have Glazers who are clearly in it for the money and the dividends and the kind of cash that they can make on the side. Um, you need to be very, very careful when you're choosing a new owner because we all know the Glazers have heaped debt on top of Manchester United and they haven't really developed the grounds any further. Whereas FSG, I think Liverpool have been spoiled in the last 12 years because they've got owners that have completely revolutionised and rejuvenated the club, the surroundings, the facilities, the training facilities. Um, and then all of a sudden they brought in a manager. And But as Dave said, you know, it, it eventually comes home to roost. And for their 300 million investments, they're now looking at uh, potentially a $3 billion uh, dollar club, which is a massive, massive return of investment, even after 12 years. So, you know, I, I like to think of it as a fan of Liverpool, obviously, that they're the caretakers of Liverpool and that, you know, their decision could be a huge decision, whether they sell to a state-owned club, one of the oil millionaires or billionaires, or whether they go, you know, along the way of, I don't know, an American investor, who else could it be, really? Um, but you hope that they give it to a safe pair of hands that has a good vision for the future. Yeah, I'm going to let you finish on it, Dave, because, um, yeah. as you said, it, it could be someone with loads of money and I have said, well, it might not be, it might be a Glazer thing. Yeah. Do yeah. you think that the Fenway group will look out for the club and take a lower bid or go for some, the, yeah. the highest bid that goes, I suppose? Yeah, you'd like to think because of the amount of money they're going to make because of how it started and where it's now going to go. And as I said, there's rumours of all sorts of numbers, but the general consensus around the average trade billion. And it's a massive, massive uh, uh, profit for them. You'd hope you've done a great job of it and you've 
I'd like to think there's a bit of grow and a bit of love for the club that they will as 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 Neil said, because they are the caretakers to put it into the right hands. And that's what you pray for. You don't want somebody who's gonna come in. Now I think if somebody's gonna spend three to four billion, this is a lot different. Like United were able uh, Glazers were able to come in and buy them at a cheap level that they can still sell them and make a few quid and they plenty made plenty of money. Well coming in at this high level of money, you're gonna have to really turn them into something even bigger in order to make their money back. So if somebody is coming in to make money, they kind of have to turn Liverpool into an even bigger superpower in, in a weird way. But at the same time, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do as well. So you're just, deep down, we're of the age now, Roy, like obviously to win each and every year it would be the stuff of dreams. But at the same time, I just want to see the club being run in the best way possible. And so far, that's the way it's been for the last 12 years. And you just hope whoever comes in has a similar um, set of kind of values and principles and how they run the club. Um, but if they're even bigger with deeper pockets, happy days. But it'll be interesting to see where it comes from and how it sits with certain people considering how vocal they've been over the last couple of years. So uh, please God, it does go into the right hands who they want to kind of maintain what we've done, but maybe take it to another level. Um, but uh, watch this space because with, with money this size, there's going to be sharks and you just really hope that the wrong ones don't end up in our tent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the Champions League draw, and we'll go back to football, they've got Real Madrid in the next round. Uh, it's That's going to be a, a big game. The only thing, Neil, is that you might see a different Liverpool by the time this game turns around. Yeah, I would hope so. And you know what it is, right? Even talking to young lads seeing the draw, and I think a lot of people were kind of going, oh, man, it's Real Madrid, we're out. And it's like, I, I actually quite happy getting them over two legs for a change, you know, because... You can. I think Liverpool are going to be rejuvenated. There's going to be Jota will be back. Diaz will be back. You might even have a January signing. Who knows? But um, mm. it definitely gives them a chance to kind of turn their fortunes. And you know, I, I remember saying it many, many times. Even on the uh, and on the flip side, when you looked at Barcelona, Real Madrid, they never really flattered to deceive before Christmas. But when the business end started you know, they become serious contenders. So let's hope Liverpool have enough time and they do with the rest of the World Cup, some of the players not going, the big name players not going, that they've time to turn around and get a bit more momentum by then. But February's a long, long time away. I think it's like February 18, 27, I think there's back-to-back legs or something like that. But that's plenty of time to get your ducks in order lined up. So I'm excited by the draw. I think it's a really, really good draw. I think if you're going to get Madrid... You may as well get them over two legs because we don't seem to be able to beat them over one. So, uh, yeah, we may as well uh, roll the dice. But I think it's going to be a close game. Like, I don't think by any stretch of imagination um, Madrid are going to blow them away. I think definitely Liverpool are underdogs because of the pedigree of Madrid the last few years has been just incredible on these uh, occasions. But, yeah, you look forward to a good game. Now, we'll be talking about the World Cup not necessarily the World Cup draw, although we will touch on that because uh, just to refresh people's minds, but there seems to be an awful lot of players dropping out at this late stage and uh, that's that for them. But we'll continue on with the Champions League draw. Dave, Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich has yeah. to be the, the big one there. Bayern Munich yeah. have been touted over the last few years of being you know, the one of the top teams, but they haven't really edged to where people think they're going to go to. Well, Paris Saint-Germain, in my eyes, just looking at them this year, look a more sort of rounded team. They actually look more of a team, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, and 
I think obviously the front three which we alluded to last week are producing but seems to be producing as a unit instead of trying to outdo each other they're kind of going right if we if our players combined we'd be even better and bigger and better and win what we want to set out to win but I think Ramos is more consistently in the side this year and defensively they're a little bit tired because like he's still got us you know he, he's just one of them and they, as you said they're very much more a bit of a team and it just feels like if this a bit like Man City if it's going to happen this could be it this year so uh, that's a cracking 50-50 game you, you know if Paris can easily implode and go the wrong way and Bayern could blitz them in one false swoop because Bayern will be consistent in what they do but it's kind of like they're 8 out of 10 but they might necessarily get up to 9 or 10 while Paris can be a 10 out of 10 but can easily jump down to a 2 or a 3 you know that kind of level if if things don't go right so uh, I would probably plumb for Paris just right now however would not be in the least bit surprised if it goes tips up very quickly um, but it's a cracking juicy tie alongside a, a few other 50-50s that wouldn't necessarily be sexy in terms of historical names but like your Eintracht Frankfurt and Napoli is an interesting one and then even the likes of Club Bruges Benfica you know even Inter Milan Porto like you're not too sure about who they are so it's a, it's, we're into the business end of the Champions League which we know and love and I think there's going to be a few of them in the last five or ten minutes of the second legs with plenty to play for and uh, uh, very much looking forward to it. Yeah, you've named a few there. We got, I'll go quickly through them. Porto, Inter, Frankfurt, Napoli, City, Leipzig, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, um, Benfica, Bruges, Spurs, AC Milan, of course, the other two that we talked about. Neil, Spurs and AC Milan, people were talking about this is a huge game, a big game. For me, Spurs should be seeing themselves through here, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, they're managed by an Italian manager. He'll know how to play against the Italian style. Uh, he plays in the Italian style uh, for 45 minutes every week by the looks of him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd fancy Spurs. I just, there's something about the Italian teams for me. They're just not quite at the same level, um, I think, as the English clubs in particular, but maybe even the Spanish clubs. So, yeah, I, I'd plumb for Spurs. I think they'll have too much going for them if all their players are fit, etc. as well. I mean, Spurs don't have the strongest squad as far as past maybe 11 or 12 players. So, um, But yeah, I think Spurs will have too much for Milan on that one. Yeah. Um, we Manchester City obviously have Leipzig. I think everyone thinks Manchester City are just going to coast through yeah. that. That's not necessarily going to be the case. It's not going to be that easy, but we still think they're going to get through. Uh, we, we entered this talk with Liverpool into the Champions League. So we're going to exit it with Chelsea, Dave. And... Dortmund is a tricky game and the way that Graham Potter's team are playing at the moment it's it's the form's not great and maybe this World Cup is going to be a blessing Yeah 100% and hopefully then obviously I presume they'll go off in a bit of a camp somewhere a bit of warm weather training and he can maybe really hammer home what he wants this team to, to, to do and obviously he still has a bit of a conundrum up front he seems to Obviously, he played uh, Aubameyang at the weekend, but does he really want her? It remains to be seen. Some of the players who have been brought in, your Pulisic is this award, really have a caught fire since they came, have, have been brought in. They're decent and solid, but um, maybe a bit of a build needs to be done there. And but yeah, some of them they need to be kind of written off, which sounds harsh. But two points in the last two points out of the last twelve is certainly not good enough. And the fact that they're only two points clear, Liverpool says it all. So whatever we think about Liverpool at the moment, you know, Chelsea are, right, uh, are pretty much right there beside him and that's that's where they are at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Is he under so pressure, Dave? Six weeks. 
Uh, well, because he's at Chelsea, hundred percent. If he was at anyone else, I'd probably say, no, nah, no, I think he'd be all right. They'll give him a bit of time. They let him have a window or two. While at Chelsea, without knowing this guy too well, Tom Bowley, Although, in fairness, second Tuchel when he did seem to catch everyone on the hop. So, if Potter goes, should we really be surprised? Maybe there's a, a, a bit of a similarity to to Abramovich and how he treats managers. Let's wait and see. But if it was any other club, I wouldn't be as nervous for him but yeah I think he's every right to, or I think other people or people from outside looking in uh, would feel nervous for him without a shadow of a doubt yeah. now at the weekend Unai Emery took over at Aston Villa he had a great <coughs> 3-1 victory against a, a very very flat Manchester United Neil we've seen it before we've seen managers come in get the early win the fans think that this is going to be the greatest manager of all time they're going to win the Champions League etc etc and all of a sudden they flatter to deceive. Can Unai Emery change that at Villa, or is it is is it just that the club is can only reach a certain, I suppose, height? Yeah, I, I guess it depends what your expectations for Villa are, Roy. I mean, are Villa a mid-table team? Are Villa a team looking to get into the top ten? Do they gauge their success saying we finished in top ten? No, we had a crack at top six, eight. You know where they're going for uh, European places, so. I think looking at the team itself, there's still a lot more growth there. Like they're a long, long way off your Chelsea, your Arsenal, your Spurs, um, your Liverpool's in order to get above them. So I um, I guess they're after going for a manager with a lot of experience. They're after going for someone that knows the Premier League and um, kind of a cup specialist, I guess, as well. So maybe they're deriving like a cup trophy or that type or a run in a cup. But um, I definitely think he'd have to strengthen the squad if they want to go any higher. I mean, not that I thought that Gerard was maxing out on the talent by any stretch of imagination, but you know, he, I guess some of the, he clearly wasn't. But you look at some of the players that came good from on the weekend. You had Bailey, who I thought was outstanding on the weekend against Manchester United. I don't know where the hell he's been for the last year. Uh, he brought Ramsey back into the side and he repaid him fully with a brilliant performance as well. So I think he's got good talent at Villa, but again, how high can you go with them? But I think it's a shrewd appointment and one that, you know, you would imagine they're going to be in the upper half of the table, provided he can keep them ticking over. Yeah, I, I, I looked at the game, I seen, as I said to you at the start, a flat Manchester United. They looked like a tired Manchester United who have been playing a lot of games. And for Unai Emery, listen, I'm not taking that in the way. You go and you beat a team, you beat them 3-1. It's your first game, you take the three points, you take all the plaudits. But I have a feeling that he just got lucky on the day getting that, Dave, that, that victory. As in, everything, all the stars aligned. For him to do stuff at Aston Villa, he's going to have to get in a better quality uh, calibre of player, uh, especially attitude-wise. Uh, potentially but the first game when they Jared left they won 5 nothing as well so two of the last three performances have been quite impressive um, so I I wouldn't be too kind of quick to cut a few people off Bailey is a quality quality player who spent a hell of a lot of time on the treatment table who has ridiculous pace and has a bit of a a decent pedigree coming from Germany if he can stay fit and stay healthy people will talk about him a hell of a lot more and and that's not me trying to sound smart that's just the way it is and this is where people need to kind of open their eyes up and see there is other football that goes on in this world and he is a decent player you know you have your there is players that need to come in and be improved like Bubakar Kamara is now starting to get fit and healthy again 
Diego Carlos, who was bought, is a bloody good centre half at what they have. There is a half decent corridor to be an awkward middle of the table team. And we always go on about the big six. The gas thing is, West Ham break it in the, uh, two or three times in the last years. Leicester broke it two or three times. Like it can be broken. So they don't have to go too crazy to try and maybe nick into seventh and get a European spot because at the moment they're only currently six points behind. There is a half decent side there and they've shown it in two of the last three games. Uh, and it just goes to show you like what there is a potential talent there. And obviously I'm a big fan of Ramsey and I definitely think he needs to kind of bottle him up and really kind of turn him into kind of potentially a next big thing because I think he has that potential. Um, there's a bit more there with Villa, I think, to maybe be a solid mid-table outfit before he, uh, Unai Emery puts his little stamp on it. But because there's no denying his pedigree, so uh, I don't think it's going to take a hell of a lot to potentially be one of the awkward sides who can try and break into that top seven for European spots, a bit like the way Brighton are doing it right now at this minute in time. And does, as Arsenal fans would see, a kind of failing at Arsenal, does that give him that extra experience to? You know, yeah. be be positive and be successful in England. The way he looks at it, that he should have a bit of experience of what it's like in England, because there's no denying uh, he can certainly do it in, in his own domestic uh, league in Spain, and obviously having great success with LRL in Europe, and even in the Champions League, having some success, not just winning the Europa League. That's right. Um, he's had he's been here and done it now, and he can maybe start. This could be his level in the Premier League to try and work hard and, and, and get that kind of a level of play instead of trying to get the bigger and better superstars. Maybe this is kind of his type of club, um, bringing the club from lower end into the mid-table slash higher again and getting kind of players that he likes. Well, with Arsenal and your Man City's and Liverpool, you have to buy the stars. And some managers maybe just don't suit that level. They don't like working with them. So, uh, yeah, this could be a, n- a nice type of club for Emre in the English League and then obviously having the, the previous experience with Arsenal. So, I'd be a little bit hopeful for them when it was shut of a doubt, but it, it can all go south very quickly, but it could easily go the other way just as just as quick as well. So I think it's an interesting one. I'd, I'd be a little bit optimistic if I was a Villa fan. Okay. Um, Manchester United, who did get beaten by Villa at the weekend, were in the Europa League draw. Uh, this is the round before the last 16, and they drew Barcelona, mm. Neil. Uh, there's a few different ones, Sevilla, PSV, Sporting, Michelin's, Shakhtar, Rennes, AX, Union Berlin, Leverkusen, Monaco, Salzburg, Roma and Juventus, Nantes. Uh, there'll be a, a few decent teams in that draw. How do you see the Barcelona-Man United game? It's 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 big on paper. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's going to be a big game, Roy, and I think it's the type of game that whets your appetite. And I mean, you know, of all the talk about Ronaldo in the last few weeks, this actually might be a game where even the great man himself might say, Jesus, I really, really fancy going out and sticking one to Barcelona in the Europa League. I don't know, but it's uh, for me, it's actually a game I'll watch, unlike most Europa League games. It's one you look forward to. Um, I think United kind of traditionally will be up for a game like this. They're well equipped. They've got some good experience in the side. I don't think, you know, anyone has anything to fear. I think the two sides are kind of you know, kind of in a rebuilding, maybe restructuring process where they're bringing in a lot of players. They're trying, you know, new managers, new kind of psychology of what they want to be doing. So uh, for the both of them, I guess it's a, an opportunity to put one over on each other. Um, and again, the Europa League is very, very much a wi- as a winnable uh, trophy for them. It's a trophy and a way back into the Champions League. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't sniff at it. I think it's a good draw. If you know you can get all the players fit, uh, ready and roaring after the World Cup now they could head into that in good spirits 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll go on to the World Cup because it's it's only eleven days away, and this week <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's it's like it's it's just it's yeah. it's, it's, it's mental that it's, it's crept up on us so quickly. But I think Dave, it's just the fact that it's stuck in the middle of a season, and everyone's so focused on game after game after game with no yeah. break, like it would be in a World Cup where you would have three weeks off or whatever it is to play a few games beforehand. Yeah. It's just a different World Cup. Yeah, I think ultimately that's what it is. Like, obviously, I'm sure some things that are being covered on it are being a little bit muted because of potentially where it is and how it's been gained and then how um, the setup and how it's been and what, and what have you. And that there's still some dodgy sound bikes that are coming out. But I think just purely as a football fan, if you just look at the fact that a World Cup's coming, it's always something that's big on your horizon for a couple of weeks. But as you said, usually by end of May last you're the Chinese Day final that's it job done and then squads are announced and they're off the camps and you're talking about it for two to three weeks and everything else because like I was thinking about myself maybe are, are we are we not as interested because obviously we're not in it being here in Ireland however that's never been the case for me I've always been buzzing for a World Cup regardless and um, obviously on a different scale if we were there but I it, it for me I think it's the cut and trust of the season um, there's literally a game every bloody day but like even if you're following your own team it's every two or three days and there's a match and you don't really have much time and just slowly but surely you're just starting to see little remnants little shows coming on on TV but before you know it literally Sunday week that first game is coming on taking fast and uh, squads are being announced and you're kind of missing the announcement you're kind of going Jesus what's going on like Wales has been announced today like, and I probably I'll be the only one I'll know that's definitely in it's Gareth Bale but I've missed it and I still don't even know if anyone missed it because you're still talking about your own clubs and the League Cup is on tonight. Obviously, England's being announced tomorrow, but it's just incredible how it's going to be. And then you've got matches at 10 o'clock in the day and we're all going to be in work and 1 o'clock. And a lot of it's going to be probably watched on highlights compared to watching a hell of a lot of games live on TV. Obviously, the run-up to Christmas, you know, best of luck, lads, trying to watch three and four matches on a Saturday and Sunday if you to go out and do your shopping with the missus, you know. <laughs> I, I feel your pain. There's going to be some interesting debates and, and serious deals being done with, with the other half to try and get a, a bit of free time on Saturdays and Sundays to watch a, the three or four games that might be on. So it, it's just a very strange scenario that, that for, for, for a World Cup, which is sad because it, it's the pinnacle and it's something that only comes every four years. And before you know it, it'll be blinking, it'll be gone, you know. Yeah, uh, Amazon might make a few quid this year. Uh, when we, <laughs> when you Neil, when you look at the whole controversy that's around the World Cup in Qatar, you see Blatter coming out today and talking about he didn't really want it there. You see uh, Gary Neville getting lashed out of it. You see um, Denmark wearing a jersey now that's hides away the crest and and. Uh, the badge, uh, the makers of the the jersey and stuff like that in protest. You hear them talking. Harry Kane should wear, you know, a, a rainbow armband, you know, uh, in protest. This is all too late, isn't it? Like I, I, they've had twelve years. I, I find this all to be uh, just a whole load of people looking for. <sighs> looking for a little bit of attention, looking to uh, get that little spot in in the, in the television window and say how disgusted they are about it. But everyone's gone. TV companies are gone. Football teams are gone. Fans are gone. Literally, no one gives a shit. Yeah. 
And you know what it is, Roy? If money ever talks, money is talking now. We talked 12 years ago and kept everybody quiet for the last 11 years, 11 and a half years, and all of a sudden now it's an issue and it's a big deal. And I don't know if you've seen the Jurgen Klopp interview during the week. They tried to get a soundbite out of him and he just shut your man down and was like, no, not giving it to you. Use had the responsibility to do it. Use your journalist. You should have reported out on this initially when it happened. Had all the outrage when it happened and you didn't. And what you're doing now is you're waiting two weeks beforehand and you want me to say something controversial so you can get your headline. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm not doing it. And he said, and now you're going to go in the afternoon, you're going to go and ask Harry Kane, are you going to wear your armband? Are you going to make a statement? At the end of the day, money talks and that's exactly why we're in this situation. Just for the record, I would reckon for the player's point of view, from a football point of view, there's still the same excitement as we all would have in a World Cup. I'd say the players can't wait to get there. It's a big, big opportunity for a lot of countries to go there. And I think this year there could be a number of winners for the change as well, rather than the, the normal elite. So from a football perspective, I still think it's going to be a brilliant um, tournament. Unfortunately for the spectators and the kind of narrative that's been given us in the media, you know, with the stadiums being built, with the people being, the, the lives that were lost, with the weather, with the corruption, it's just leaving that sour taste. And it's very rare to ever have that in a World Cup. Like if you remember South Africa got it, South Korea got it, Japan, and it was almost like it was an honour for them to have it and it elevated football in them countries. And now you've gone to Qatar and it's only gone for money. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. It's It's money taking over something that we all love in the game and uh, yeah definitely leaves a sour taste in the mouth because of it and that's it Dave it, like we, we all agree with what's being said we all agree about you know the stadiums being built but even the way that um, you know I suppose gay people are being treated out there and are being threatened if, if, if this that and the other happens that this is what will happen to you like there's, it's it's backward, in my opinion, a backward country in in this regard. But that's how they do things out there. But there's loads of countries around the world, and there's loads of countries around the world that have yeah. uh, sport, big sporting events on. And to tell you the truth, everyone likes to put themselves in a position where they say, "Oh yeah, I I don't I'm not, I don't stand for this and I don't stand for that." But when they're put in the spotlight, they go and do what they want to do anyhow. They look after themselves and 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 be a main may fan or whatever. It doesn't make a damn of a difference unless you do something about it. No one has done anything about it. Footballers didn't do anything. Football associations didn't do anything. The media, as Neil correctly said, didn't do enough. Didn't didn't do anything. They highlighted a certain, certain amount of things. But no one was pushing for this World Cup not to be played. So everyone has been a failure in this. Yeah, and... and what I, like anyone who really gets onto the moral high ground, I could say to them, I suppose, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, whatever. But guess what? If it wasn't here, we wouldn't know about it. If anything, it's highlighting the tar and what it is. So in a weird way, it's a positive because it's highlighting what it's, uh, their values and, and, and it's certainly not ours and what it's like in, in, the, in that particular region and in potentially in other countries. And it's highlighting in a negative way. So as much as a World Cup, depending on where it goes, can be positive. It can be positive in the highlighting the negatives in certain countries, and it's a very much a this is a no go area, and and if it's a no go area, don't go. More important because they want you there. So the most important thing is, like, especially if you feel like you're you're endangered, and um, now you know where not to go because not, not everywhere is safe in this world. And 
the fact that it's there in a weird way is a good thing because a lot of people might not have known that and just got on with their lives and then potentially other people could put their lives in danger because they want to get out there and see some of the world and then before you know it, they, when it, they get there and it's too late. So in a weird way, it's potentially a positive that it's there because everyone in their mother knows, yeah, it might not be the greatest place in the world and uh, we'll, stay, we'll stay clear, whether it be business-wise or whether it be travel-wise or economically and this, that and the other. So that's the other side of it that you could use. But to be honest, the easy thing to do is to blame the footballers and blame the managers and it, it was the same in lockdown and politicians giving out some going, give us a few a few of your quid there and this, that and the other. Like it's absolute nonsense. You know, the governments and powers that be did little or nothing apart from America because America knew it was boss and the, the FBI and the CIA got stuck in and found what they needed to find and, and, and dismantled some of the guys at the very top. But how much that they managed to dismantle remains to be seen, considering Infantino sending out mess, uh, letters to the um, countries to kind of say, keep it down, like, you know, don't be too negative and all this kind of stuff lately and try, try and keep it light and positive when we get, when we get over here uh, next week, which is ridiculous. So he's just another puppet uh, at the very top. But, um, yeah, the Fiora should have been 10 or 12 years ago, which it was to an extent, but it was just people moaning. There was no action. But now, when it's too late, oh, let's put it all in the players, and it's ridiculous if they don't do this, and it's ridiculous. But it's not fair. Mm-hmm. This is just the place where the matches are to them, and they're going to do what they have to do. And I wouldn't hold it against them or the, or the football people on the pitch, whether it be the managers or players, but they, you know, they're the easy guys to have a go at. And the journalists are, 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 are arguably the worst, because some of them all have been moaning about this year, years, yeah, but you're not banging the right drummer. You're not going to the right people. You know, you're not going to the real difference makers. You're trying to get your clubs and Harry Kane to this world to give you an easy headline. So, if anything, it being there is probably a good thing because everyone in the world knows the type of country that it is. But if it wasn't, no one, people would be uh, less the wise, you know? Yep. Okay. But let's talk about the positive side because, as we said, there's it's straight mm-hmm. into it. So, normally before a World Cup, you have a couple, few weeks and it starts building the juices yeah. and you can't wait for it then. We don't kind of have that. It's going to be on top of us straight away. Neil, when you look at the World Cup, who who do you look at and think, yeah, this this is it. This is a this is a team that I feel that could go all the way. Um, I think the Brazilians just by the squad they have. Um, I, I think a couple of World Cups ago, like when they used to get found out in the back line, they were a little bit kind of light, but. They have a very, very strong squad. I mean, look at some of the players even they left out. Like Bobby Firmino didn't even make it. I know his form has been great maybe last year, but this year he's in a good space. They have a lot of attacking talent. France would have been one who had it always back, but they seem to be hit by quite a few injuries to a couple of high-profile players. But again, you know, they'll be there, thereabouts. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose Brazil would always be my favourites going into it. And you look um, at their group, maybe Neil, an outside bet. The group they have: Serb- yep. Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. It's not. It's not an easy group to get out of either. And and them two teams, Serbia are in form, and Switzerland are always a tricky a team to get by. Uh, Cameroon, you just don't know what they're going to get. But uh, it, I don't think it's going to be as easy for them to get out of that group as when you look at France, Australia, Denmark and Tunisia, you're kind of thinking they will get through and, and then anything's possible. Yeah, I, I think my biggest concern is that, we, we, as Dave was saying earlier, they're playing so many games in, in a, probably a shorter period than a normal World Cup that the, the squad depth is going to be critical. 
as in, you know, when you win your first two games and you can rest everybody for your set for your third game, they're going to have to be very coy in how they handle their big name players because you're coming into a season. If you even look at someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who plays every week and every minute for City, all of a sudden with Belgium, then he's thrown into like they have to play him for ninety minutes. They very rarely can rest him. So in the latter stages of them tournaments, that's when you need to be able to rest the players. You know, in the build up to that that uh, your squad then comes into play. So that's why Brazil-France would always be my favourite in that regard. But, you know, let's be honest, that can happen in this World Cup. I guess it's got, it might be a little bit different. Dave, can England win this World Cup? And if it's yes or no, why? Ooh, uh, yes, because they've a very favourable group to get out of. Um, and once you're in the knockout stage, you never know. Um, but deep down... I think they had their, their ultimate moment, I think, in the previous tournament and in the Euros and obviously the semi-final in the previous World Cup. To see them go to the well again, I'd be very surprised. I think, the, the, unfortunately, the mask is slipping a little bit. The team is even getting a bit disjointed, like where it's, a very, it's getting very chop and changey. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation about who we may or may not be bringing in the, uh, next uh, tomorrow. Um there's a bit of an inconsistency coming now whether it's just because the groups are fairly easy to get through in the qualifications maybe I don't know but yeah they'll get out of the group they might go back to type and be a quarter-final jobby but uh, EA Sports did their simulator thing again they've got it right the last three World Cups and uh, they did it yesterday and it was Argentina and could you imagine if it's then because then the whole Messi team Messi can think they have the that's it we win he's won the World Cup back in your box Ronaldo could you imagine (laughs) (laughs) I I only seen a video there today I think it was FIFA put it out and was it on their Facebook account or something like that and the last time they met at at, at the World Cup was in 1990 and Maradona Canija scored I think it was a a 1-0 victory but Maradona there was horrendous game of football horrendous game of football but a couple of things that Maradona did and, and one thing he did for the goal yeah. was brilliant but it, 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 it was generally horrendous World Cup 1990 bar everything that Ireland <laughs> did it, and they they did it in, a, in their own way uh, Neil you look at England who who do you start? Oh yeah, I, I I think the England are going to play pragmatic. I think he's going to play well if he goes three five two, for example. Um, I think your midfield was was kind of a question mark. Calvin Phillips being injured now, I guess Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice as the holders. Uh, I think he's he still is a huge dilemma over Harry um, Maguire. Roy. I I don't know. And it's his lack of game time at the moment. I mean, in the weekend, uh, Lindelof went in ahead of him which you would very, very rarely see in the last five years. So Harry Kane's given him a headache. I think he still needs to find a solution to that problem. Um, obviously, Kyle Walker's injury is a huge concern. Uh, Reese James's injury is a huge concern. So I think he's a couple more issues than he would like to have. I think the forward line, they're grand, as in Mason Mountain behind whoever, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, all that is fine. But I think he needs to get the fullbacks correct um, and I think he needs to get another centre half that has a bit of form, and I think that's where his problems are going to lie. Um, but he, he he's an, I I don't think it's straightforward, but I still think they're going to progress in the tournament. But for them to win it, they need to uncut someone in the back line that's going to stand out, and maybe as a tournament just have a good tournament. But um, I'd be a little bit worried for England, I think. 
Dave, would you be worried that John Stones and Harry Maguire might be the centre-back pairing there for England, um, especially with the way Maguire is playing at the moment? John Stones has, has improved, but again, he, he does play in it with some quality beside him, so it would be interesting to see how that would work out. And the second part of that is, when you look, I looked at the Daily Mail the other day, they had four journalists, one of them was Chris Sutton, trio for them had Madison in the team, the starting 11. Uh, Mount wasn't in it once. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm glad you brought up Madison because the only, because at some point I was hoping it was going to come up because i tell you one thing, um, his current form is seriously impressive and he sticks out like a sore thumb every single week and if I was a Leicester fan, I'd be like, yeah, he has to be there because he deserves it. But I tell you one thing, that's your norm now, pal. And if that doesn't show up in January, I swear to God, I'll be pissed off as a Leicester fan because you hope it's because that's his now norm and that's his current level. And he's not just doing it a la my pal, Mr. Lingard, for six months of the year for obvious reasons to get a new contract or to get into a squad. And um, he clearly deserves to be in it. So to put him straight in would be very un-Gareth Southgate-like. But I still think I think he's done enough to be in the squad, but I'd be a little bit surprised if he's in the starting lineup. I just just purely because of the manager, more so because he doesn't seem he doesn't seem to kind of bend to persuasion because the rumours are still kind of fairly heavy that he's not gonna go with Alexander Arnold considering the two guys that are missing. However, he could easily do it. So it's just he seems to be his own man and credit to him. But um I think Madison's done enough, but I I would be surprised to see him start in that first game against the Ram, I think it is. Yeah, I think Trippier probably start right full. I think Trent is gone yeah. now because yeah. Reese James is out and Walker is, out, is a doubt. Um, I, I did know Walker. Walker's a huge loss, right? Huge Walker's loss. probably the biggest loss they have, and that's because why he can do both centre half and right wing back. Yeah, and that's why I don't think they'll play three at the back because when they had Walker there, it was three at the back. He could cover everything. I think he'll go conservative four at the back, and that's why I think Trippier will get in, like Dave he said, put instead in, of Trent. Um, yeah, but he wouldn't put in the likes of maybe Cody or to go in beside the two lads, or he he might he might he might because he's an excellent fielder. He's a decent ball player. Like. The reason why the tree worked so well was in the Euros because Walker covered every blade of grass yeah. with the pace that he had. Now he still might do yeah. that, but I don't think that would mean that Trent gets in. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Trent gets in. But Hardy Hardy Maguire for me, Roy, is still the most interesting one, and I think. Okay, I would nearly guarantee he's going to take a risk on him and I'm calling it a big risk but I also think Luke Shaw if they go four in the back Luke Shaw is a left full if you look at what Villa did to him on the weekend I'd be very very worried as well but that said he was electric in the last tournament for England Luke Shaw was but since then he's been really really poor form can't hold down his place in Manchester United and that's a worry as well Yeah um, again in that Daily Mail part section the four of them all eliminated Saka from the team. Would you have Saka in the team, Neil? Oh, do you know what? I remember we discussed a couple of weeks ago of who the next kind of big young player would be and who would you pick the likes of Saka over Foden, etc. I, I don't know with Saka as in he's not a traditional right winger skinning a guy, but his football has been brilliant. His courage has been brilliant for Arsenal. If you watch him in the last few games, He's electric and he really, really drives on the right side. He's going through a patch at the moment where I think he's fearless. And yeah, I'd say he's worth his go on the team. Maybe not every game, but 
I think he's definitely um, worth a start or two in the, in the group stages. Yep. Okay. Um, right, we're going to leave it there. The World Cup's next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week. Uh, the build up to it, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, listen, once it's on, we'll be all glued. We'll be watching Iran and the States and all these types of games. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who, who can't help but look forward to it once it starts. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much.